Amen.
Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Gwendolyn and Kim, for that great song reminding us that we are safe in the hollow of the hand of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please take your Bibles with me today. And we are going to look at a passage of Scripture that I believe will be a great comfort and a great help to every Christian here who desires to be in the will of God and to do the will of God, do the work of God more effectively. On the cover of your bulletin there is an artist's rendition of Jacob wrestling with the Lord. And I have entitled this, The One Fight You'll Never Win. Because certainly, if there ever was an unfair match, that's it. Anybody wrestling with God. J. Frank Norris said that when he discovered the true meaning of this passage of Scripture, it ruined one of the best messages he ever wanted to preach. And we need to understand what the Scripture means. We need to rightly divide the Word. And so to do that today, we're going to look into it in just a moment. And uh, please notice the Scripture. Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. Father, I pray that you'll fill me now with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll help every person here to find in the Scripture the truth that will set us free and will enable us to be the servant of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Talk about unfair wrestling. I've told you about how it was when I was in high school. I was a pretty fair little athlete, but little is the key word. I was wiry like Barney Fife. And I think at the time that I'm thinking, just going into high school, I was probably 115, 120 pounds, maybe in change. But um, that was about it. And they were looking for raw talent on the wrestling team. The AD, the athletic director, famous athletic director of my high school back in South St. Paul, Minnesota, had been the heavyweight wrestling champion of the Big Ten when he wrestled for the University of Minnesota. And so he was a big guy, Peter Veldman, and uh, his great physical specimen. And so he was having wrestle-offs, and he started with a, a, a guy or two that were lighter than I was, believe it or not, and uh, they worked their way up to me, and I beat them, and then I beat the next class and the next class, all the way up through heavyweight. I beat everybody in the class. And uh, not that I had any talent, I was strong. I, I'm not bragging, it's just like John Wayne says, not brag, but fact. Uh, even though I was uh, 115 to 120 and change, maybe, uh, I could bench press 305 pounds. And so that means I could push a guy around that's twice my size. And, and I didn't have to have a whole lot of skill, and I didn't have a whole lot of skill. But I thought, I thought I had just won the world championship of everything. And Peter Veldman could see that he was going to do me a great big favor. And he was going to take care of a problem I had called pride. And boy, did he ever. He took me to task. He said, come on. Come on, Winnegar. Now, when Peter Veldman, 250 and change, going against 115 and change, and he said, come here, Winnegar. Come here. I knew the judgment day had arrived. What happened next? I will just summarize by saying he had fun with me. Kind of like 
your cat or your dog playing with some kind of a squeeze toy, bouncing around and just, I mean, getting me in a near fall situation. You then understand wrestling, you know what a near fall is, that's where you're almost through. But then, but then unmercifully, you know, reversing and taking me out of that near fall situation until the score was 30 or something to zip. I mean, he was just bouncing me all over the place, just using me as an example. What he did for me that day, besides beating the stuffing out of me, uh, legally and properly, didn't you always want to do that to somebody? But he did that to me. He did me a great big favor and helped me to understand that there are some that can beat you any day and twice on that day or three times on that day if he wanted to. God is great enough to defeat us. If that is the contest, if it's me against God, if it's everything that I can uh, pull together, every resource that I can draw uh, and against God, He can beat me every day, several times a day, all the time, because He's God and I'm not. I understand that. Jacob was not struggling with God, as some have preached, because he was struggling with the will of God. At this point in his life, Jacob was trying to make a beeline for God's work and God's will, but he was, he was needing a lesson from God. And that is, everything good in your life, like Paul understood, everything good in my life comes from God. If there's anything good in you, it's because of grace. Everybody say grace. I don't mean grace back here or, or, or grace... Uh, uh, you know, AJ's mom. I'm, I'm not talking about that grace. I'm talking about God's grace. Everything good in our life is because of the grace of God. Jacob had many struggles, and we have many struggles. He had many conflicts and challenges in life. Our life will take many different twists and turns. Life is not easy. That is the nature of life. And some of the Natural causes that we take upon ourselves. We win, some we lose. And so there we are. And we're, we're thinking, okay, well, this is just another battle. But when it comes to doing the will of God and achieving the blessings of God in our life and being who God wants us to be and being where God wants us to be, it must all be of grace. It's all got to be God and not us. That's it. Who did he meet up with on the way back? Who did he wrestle with? This is an Old Testament appearance of the Lord. We have what's called theophanies, which is an appearance generally of any of the Godhead in the Old Testament in some other form than we normally think. The Bible teaches us Jesus Himself said God is a spirit, and they that worship Him worship Him in spirit and in truth. The only God you're ever going to see other, outside of the Shekinah glory of God is the God-man Jesus Christ in His glorified state. That's the God we're going to see with our eyes someday when we stand in His presence. But throughout the Old Testament, we have some pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ. And we call these theophanies Christophanies. Christophanies. And here, this Christophany, this pre incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ meets Jacob in the way. I don't care who you are, or who I am, where we are, what we're doing, but God wants to be in our life. God wants us to be in His will. 
And there is an indescribable battle that takes place in hand-to-hand combat that dwarfs any athletic contest we have ever seen or been a part of. And like every, every one of us who's been where Jacob is, all of us who name the name of Jesus Christ must engage in this contest, wrestling with this great choice. From this point on, will I attempt to do the will of God my way or will I allow God to have His way? Will I attempt to fulfill what the Word of God says uh, in the energy and the witness of the flesh or will I sell out wholesale, whole stock and barrel, I mean from the top of my crown of my head to the soles of my feet, will I give myself completely to God? Will I allow Him to have His way with me? In your bulletin, all for Jesus. All for Jesus. The words themselves reflect the importance of our not holding back anything, but giving everything to Him. Our motive must be His motive. Our desire must be His desire. What burns in your heart in the way of passion must be surrendered to God. People are driven today by dreams and desires, but let it be a godly dream. Let it be a godly desire. Let it be a godly motive. Let it be a godly passion. Otherwise, you'll just have a conflagration, a fiery kind of inferno, and nothing will be accomplished. It'll scorch the earth and your surroundings and affect your loved ones and family and friends and the institutions with which you have to do. But if you want something for eternity, then you must give it all to Jesus. Every bit, all your desire, all your hopes, all your dreams to Him. I'm not preaching a halfway gospel or a halfway Christian life here today. I'm not going to stand in the pulpit and say, it's okay with God if you just do uh, put your toe in the water a little bit. He doesn't want you to put your toe in the water. If, if you're heading for the water, He wants your head under the water. He wants you completely sold out for His glory because all we'll do is mess it up. If there's any bit of me in it, any bit of you in it, we'll mess it up. It's got to be Jesus in and through us. It's got to be God's will. It's got to be His way. It can't be our way throughout the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the examples of the patriarchs. What a study this is. I want you to be in Bible Institute on the 14th of September. On the 14th of September at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I will begin to lay out what the King James Bible has to say about everything in the book of Genesis. We see the life of the patriarchs. We see, I think the first patriarch may have been Job, but we have Job and we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and these patriarchs as we think of them, uh, as we think of those that came from Jacob's loins, the 12 tribes. We have Joseph, of course, who was sold into slavery and by his brethren and yet he said at the conclusion of his life that they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We, we learned so many life lessons that logic does not teach us. Emotion, public opinion. I mean, the best, most educated person can't teach you what the Word of God teaches us with respect to this thing called life. We're living in the selfie age. 
I don't mean to make fun, but that is so typical of the philosophy of our age also. Here I am in front of this. Here I am standing out of, and so on and so forth. But where it really comes to wreck and ruin is where we say, do it yourself. Do it yourself. When it comes to life, you can't do it yourself. Those who are determined that by their own determination, by their own desire and their own means of self, they're going to get it accomplished. They're going to fail. They're going to stumble. They're going to come to near destruction before God finally gets their attention and they realize they can't get it on their own. They need God. You need God in your life. You need God in your marriage. You need God in your relationships. You need God in every experience. The Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 by saying, In the beginning, God. And in everything, let it be in the beginning, God. Let Him be the foundation for life. Jacob was a supplanter. He was a trickster. He was a con man. He was a scam artist. You say, well, come on out and say what you're really thinking, preacher. That's what I'm really thinking. He had, that wasn't just a streak in him. That was, that was his character or lack of same. And he was known by it. Now, he, he valued the blessing. He valued the birthright that Esau despised. So on the positive side, you can find something positive about anybody. On the positive side, he wanted those things that would have lasting value. Esau is a type of the flesh. Here's a guy. Now, he had one thing right. He was a good hunter. He had that right. So we thank God for all of our hunters and all the people that enjoy the beast feast say amen. Amen. We enjoy the good hunters. But he was, he was, he was a man of the flesh. He was carnal in every respect. And he didn't care for anything that lasted beyond the next meal or beyond the next hunt or beyond the next experience. And you may find yourself very much like Esau today. And you need a conversion experience. You need the Lord in your life to turn you inside out and upside down and, and turn you right because that's not going to work. But then you have Jacob. And Jacob hung around the house. And Jacob was looking for an angle. Jacob was looking for a way to make it happen. God deliver us from fleshly ways of making it happen. We don't want to make it happen. We want to yield to God. I want God's way. I want God's will. I want Him to do it. You would think, after almost 50 years, that we would know these things. But we learn them slowly. He wanted the blessing, the birthright. He wanted the things of lasting value. But his story, his journey is a story of moving from self and totally self to submission to God. He was seeking something that was good, but seeking the wrong way. And the wrestling match was about getting it right. And today the wrestling match with you may be just about that, getting it right, having it not only so that you are in the will of God, but you're seeking God's ends by God's means. Wrestling with God. Maybe you're wrestling today with the Word of God. It says over in Proverbs chapter 3, and verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. All individual components. 
and He, the Lord, shall direct thy paths. It's so definite. It is locked in. It is guaranteed that that's it. The Word of God and the will of God need to be our desire. But before we can do the work of God, there has to be a change that takes place in me. A change that takes place in you internally. And this goes to the worship of God. Before we can ever be effective workers for God, we need to be worshipers of God. We need to worship Him in spirit and in truth, as Jesus said to the woman at the well. We need to bow before the sovereign hand of God. The one who grants grace is the one to whom we should be bowing right now. As he was wrestling, his thigh was put out of joint. And there was a change that took place externally so that he ever walked with a limp. That limp was a reminder that he had wrestled with God. He had wanted certain things of eternal value, but to gain them for the glory of God and by the means that God dictated was necessary in his life. He had to become the man with a limp. I wonder today if you are the man or the woman or the boy or the girl with a spiritual limp. Have you met with God? Have you wrestled with Him and said, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, whatever you want, to your will and to your way. I'll say, Yes, Lord, yes. My, we need that desperately. Now, I am also aware of the fact that the Jews today don't eat that portion of the lamb, or they leave that portion of the lamb in memory of the wrestling match that Jacob had. I don't know. Leaving off part of my meal, sweetheart, that would be, that would go way past sacrifice. I'm a living, breathing testimony to the full enjoyment and pleasures of eating good food. Thank you, sweetheart, for all these years. And she is the best. Thank God for all of our cooks and all of our chefs. And you have your chance, you have your opportunity on special days. We have church events in which people, uh, they bring their food and and, uh, and here's, here's one of the blessings of being a pastor. And that is, everybody comes up to me and says, Preacher, try this. Preacher, try this. I've, I've got you an extra plate, Preacher. And, uh, and the plates are surrounding me there, and it's glorious, and thank you very much. And a little extra exercise after that to, to make it all even. But how memorable for the Jews to do that. I trust and pray that they understand the spiritual importance of what happened to Jacob, their ancestor. When he wrestled with God, God said, it's going to be what? Different. Say different. Different. We have a song in our silver book. It's different now since Jesus made me whole. And when we wrestle with God and we come out of that wrestling match, there should be a difference. It should be forever reminded. It should be forever on our heart that it's different now. His name was changed from Jacob that meant trickster or scam artist to Israel, which means prince of God or prince with God. Whoa, whoa. Have you had that wrestling match? Maybe you're in the throes of that right now. The question is this, 
Will you examine your heart? Will you examine your schedule? We examine your personal choices. And will you be honest in seeing if there's anything, any event, any scheduled thing, any priority that comes between you and God's will for your life? We must begin to realize the extent to which we may be worshiping self, be absorbed with self in this age of the selfie. This frantic life that we live. Contemplate. Do you take any time to meet with God? Stop the struggle. Ask yourself the question, am I wrestling with God when it comes to my priorities, to my struggle in the areas of what's important in my life? The word and will of God, the worship of God, submitting to Him, He's in charge. Then we can begin in that order of things that has been corrected by God Himself in that wrestling match to work for God, not making the mistake of trying to school God and advise Him how we want it done, but instead submitting to Him. He's the one who made us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Our service for Him will then be a barometer of the depth of our commitment. When we are shallow, our service will reflect it. And it will say, well, I think I would look good doing this for God. I think I would be good in this area for God. I think I would be good in that area for God. It's like the selfie. And that's not the way God selects His servants. Sometimes the thing that you think that you are naturally cut out for may be the exact opposite of where God puts you. I'm thinking about a preacher right now who became a great worker for God. And he, like some of the heroes of the faith, did not possess a glib tongue. In fact, he possessed a tongue that stammered and stuttered and halted, and he said, there's no way, and I'm thinking of him right now. I'm thinking of how God used him to build a great work. I know of several pastors that meet that particular description. I know of some men and women who took a class of one or two or three and built it to the glory of God. I'm thinking of one young man. He was in Bible college in Springfield and he was given the roll book of a Sunday school class and one student and for a number of weeks, I think for a couple of months, he and that student faced each other. The class did not grow. He did not visit. He did not do anything. And after those several weeks or months, he took the roll book back to the superintendent and said, I'm turning it in. I'm resigning. And the superintendent did a wonderful thing. He said, you can't resign from something you never started. And that young preacher boy was offended. Thank God my flesh has been offended on more than one occasion. I need to have my flesh offended. If I preach and I don't offend my flesh at least one time during the course of these minutes, I haven't preached. Amen. Amen, preacher. That's it. Preach on. Preach on. Come on. You have not started 
And the superintendent said, you have not started. He got mad. He said, give me back that book. And he went to visit that boy that was in his class. And he basically said this, look, you don't like me. I don't like you much, but we got to build a class together. And they went out and they visited. And within a specified period of time, I don't know the exact number of weeks. I think it was within a quarter. They counted those boys coming in that class. And there were over 50 boys in that class because they got out and visited. And that young preacher student was named Jerry Falwell. And thank God for that Sunday school superintendent who told him like it is. Gabe, I appreciate many things about you. There are many things to appreciate. Gabe never minces words. He tells me what I need to hear. He tells you what he needs to tell you and what you need to hear. And that's good. And that's the way we have to be. Speak the truth in love. Tell it like it is. Jacob was going about it wrong, and the Lord said, we're going to get this right. And there was a wrestling match that took place, and a leg that went out of joint, and a limp that followed thereafter to remind him that he'd wrestled with God, and that everything that we are, hope to be, and everything that we ever hope to do must be by God's grace. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today, please? Every head bowed. Every eye closed. How many of you today would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. I want you when the invitation is given to get up from where you are and come down here. And if God is ever going to do anything with me, with you, with your family, with my family, with this church, with our ministry, with our outreach, then we are going to have to submit totally to Him like Jacob did. And we need to allow the Lord to have His way by grace through us so that something might happen for God's glory for eternity. I'm going to ask you to come in just a moment. The music starts to play. Don't hesitate. Just come and line the front. Kneel down here or sit on the front row and have a word of prayer. And by your coming, you will be testifying by the sound of your feet coming down here and your knees or you sitting down Either way, you're going to be testifying to the fact that you got the message today. God spoke to my heart. He spoke to your heart. And it must be by grace. How many of you today would say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I settled that matter by receiving Christ. According to the Bible, if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Slip your hand up high. I've settled the matter by grace. I've been saved, been saved, been saved, been saved. Amen. God bless you. Put your hand down. Right now, if you're not sure you're saved, would you call on the name of the Lord? Would you pray? And, and pray something like this from your heart to God. Don't pray out loud, but pray from your heart and mean it. Here it is. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart, into my heart as my personal Savior as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And take me to heaven when I die. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. How many of you right now would say, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. Slip your hand up high. I prayed that prayer. God bless you. If you prayed that and you meant that, I want you to come tell me. We'll have someone talk to you.